podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roll On, where my journalist appendage, Mr. Adam Skolnick, and I rip matters of interest from the headlines and our lived experience. We riff on sports, culture, entertainment, self-betterment. We answer a few listener questions and so much more. Today, we've got a fun, I should say, light in comparison to at least uh, the roll-on from two weeks ago. Uh, show today, we're gonna announce the winners of the 2021 Rollies. Ooh, very exciting. Mm. We're gonna talk a little bit of endurance news, answer one single listener question. And once again, we're gonna close with a coaching call check-in with friend of the pod, my coach, Chris Hout, the man guiding me towards this perhaps ill-fated 12 and a half mile open water swim race that is uh, looming on my calendar. But first, how goes it, comrade? Rich, Larry Ellison owes me $25. That sounds like a story. It's not that great of a story, but I went, you know, with a family and I, we went to the tennis tournament, Larry's tennis tournament, Indian Wells. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had two days planned. One day we went, we took my parents, we got like two stadium seats and we had two grounds passes and we brought Zuma because April was a very high ranked junior tennis player in Australia. So tennis is a big deal in our house. And um, so anyway, we parked the car in this huge grassy lot, looks like size of Coachella festival. And as we're walking, we're pushing the stroller. It's a vaccinated only entrance thing. Mm -hmm. And Zuma is under five, can't be vaxxed. But usually they're, you know, they're allowed in anyway. But in this case, we had all the people who were working in the parking lot saying, they're not gonna let them in, they're not gonna let them in. So we were prepared. I go up to the, to the counter or whatever, the ticket place to get my refund because I, I said, well, okay, I'll just get my money back. Couldn't go because they wouldn't let Zoom in. And uh, nowhere on the website does it say, you, you know, you have under five aren't, aren't allowed. Uh, and so then, but she wouldn't give me my parking, my parking <laughs> refund because she couldn't, because it's been scanned. Yeah. So like there was no way for her to do it. And so I'm like, okay. And so she said, you can just call, you know, email this guy and he'll, he'll- uh, Larry Ellison, and directly. And turned out to be Larry. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, I haven't heard back yet. Okay. Yeah. So how are we gonna get justice for you for this? You know, Larry's doing. very busy. I, I don't want to be an apologist for Larry. He is very busy. He does owe me $25 yeah. and I am going to tax some interest on there. Well, maybe when you're out swimming, you'll see him fly by on one of his sailboats. Yeah. Well, to make matters worse, I, I shorted Twitter. Yeah, not smart. Yeah, because um, but Elon, who knows? Elon Elon comes in. He's a regular at the B&J. <laughs> and uh, he- and Jerry. Yeah, okay. yeah. He comes in, he gets a triple- that won't he, die. He gets a triple scoop. I'm, uh -huh. I'm just saying. And- and he he told me he was going to buy Twitter. He was going to bull rush Twitter, and I didn't. I thought he was kidding because he's that kind of guy. We have a like a That's like your you rapport. and I, like you and I, right. you know, we have a thing. <laughs> and um, and I thought he was fucking with me, so I shorted Twitter. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what pans out with that. Yeah, I know it's all upside down, poison pill, and everything. That's a different podcast, though. We're not gonna we're not gonna pick that one apart today. I don't we're think. not getting into Elon's head no. today. Um, I will say that I stood behind Larry Ellison in line at a CVS once. <laughs> <laughs> how, did that, how did that go? I don't know. I mean, it was just, he was buying Band-Aids or something. I uh, can't even remember. This was years ago. Celebrities What's interesting like is us. that, you know, he owns like an insane amount of Malibu beachfront yes. property, including I think where like Nobu and the Soho right. house is. And the, he, doesn't he own the Malibu Beach Inn and the Ryoko? I think Ryoko? so, I think so. Yeah. yeah. 
and Lanai. He owns the island. I know Lanai. he owns like that whole island, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, founder of Oracle for people that don't mm-hmm. know, which is and cloud, he made cloud a, stuff, uh, right? he did make he did make an appearance in uh, in Founder Television. Did you watch the Dropout? Uh, I watched the first because so, when we were talking, I watched the first episode of the Dropout. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he 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 is portrayed in that miniseries. Mm. Including a scene with Elizabeth Holmes, played by Amanda Seyfried, on one of his yachts in the San Francisco. He does bay. seem to live well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, that is all aside of what we're actually going to talk about today. Um, yes. But first, I should probably check in with what's going. Yeah, on. Yeah, what's going on with you? I know you are in Miami. I'm always waiting. You know, I always ask you what's going on I with know. you. You never ask me what's going on with me. It's true. I feel, it's true. I feel <laughs> I miss unfulfilled my I miss in this my relationship. <laughs> I, I, okay. Every week I miss my you know, cue. What's going gonna, on with you, If we're gonna have Rich? a healthy relationship, uh-huh. it has to be two ways. That's what I told Elon yesterday. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, um, I'm good. I uh, was in Miami like two weeks ago uh, and had this incredible experience. I hosted my first conference. It yeah. was for this organization called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. I've done a lot of events uh, for this organization over the years. And what does that um, mean? It's it's basically like this global organization of young CEOs, and each kind of local chapter functions almost like a mastermind group. Where it's, it's pretty cool, though. Like they really help each other out, and they have all these like family, community oriented events and all this infrastructure, but it's essentially like young CEOs. I think there's a cap on the age limit. Okay. Um, and and it's, you know, kind of like a, a way for them to, you know, have a means to, you know, share what's going on with them and have mm-hmm. other people help out, et cetera. Info and, share. And they do like a lot of speaking stuff. So like when I went to Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and Morocco, like all of those were YPO events. Okay. Which is cool, but I- Do they cap the, on the boomers when they're in private? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but this was my first uh, stab at actually hosting like an all day event. Interesting. Where I had to be on stage, like, yeah. I don't know, 14 times over the course of the day. And it was wow. a wellness oriented thing where a lot of friends of the podcast were actually the speakers like Matthew Walker and Walter Longo, Laird and Gabby were there, Dan Butner, um, Mark Hyman was there, Ken Cook from the Environmental Working Group. Chip Conley, who's this hotelier who was instrumental in helping build Airbnb, who now oh. has this thing called the Modern Elder Academy. He was super cool. cool. Um, Ken and Chip, I'm definitely uh, getting on the podcast. We're trying to schedule all that right now. But my point being like, I thought it would be like, oh, it'll be cool. Like you just get up and you introduce each guest, like how hard can it be? Right. And then when I got into like the responsibility of what that entailed, because you're you're basically like, charged with holding the energy of the crowd and keeping this thing moving and right. you know making sure that everyone's really engaged and interested in what's happening and um, ended up like rehearsing for like eight hours the day before wow. and wrote like a 35 page script. And Damn. then during the day was like revising the script and trying to find jokes. And you know, it was a cool challenge and definitely like a puzzle that I've never tried to assemble before, but it was pretty thrilling. It I went really, well. Yeah, I dug it. It was super fun. And everyone was into it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it went really well and I found like a groove with it. I found it to be more fulfilling than just being one of the keynote people. Right. Cause it's like, okay, it's up to you. Like, can you get these people excited? Can you make sure that they're holding their attention? Can you keep them entertained? Can you keep this thing moving 
on time, all that kind of stuff. Right. Like it was pretty cool. So anyway, that was really gratifying. Cool. I really want to do more of that. Like that kind of busted my cherry with that type of work. And I have such a whole new level of respect for people that host. Cause I think it's easy to look at, you know, I don't know, people that, that host like reality TV shows and the like, and just be like, you know, they just read, you know, they're reading off the teleprompter. How hard can it be? Like the bachelor but, guy. Yeah, like, well, I called my friend, Osher Gunsberg, who hosts The Bachelor in Australia. And okay. I was like, cause I was having a panic moment. I, right. was in, I was like, dude, I gotta do this thing tomorrow. And yeah. I just realized like, it's so much more intense than I thought it would be. Right. And I only have so much time to get ready. Like you gotta, you gotta talk me through this. And he spent a couple hours with me on the phone and it was incredibly helpful. He gave me all of these tips and tools cause he's been doing it for like 25 years. I like the really amazing helpful. race guy, Jeff Probst. Yeah. Right, I could see you as a I mean, Jeff Probst. It's a cool thing. Like I, I was very dismissive of the whole thing until I did it, and I was like, "Wow, this is like a lot." You know, right? Yeah. No. Props to anybody who hosts stuff. Yeah. So that was very cool, and I had gone to Miami a couple of days earlier so I could get some swimming in and prep for this race. Got a bunch of cool open water swims under my belt, including one the final day. I had I shared this on social media, and I talked to you about it. Right. I was out. I was probably a little bit too offshore, like Miami beach, it stays pretty shallow right. until you get pretty far out. And right. it was a little bit choppier than I would have liked. So I wanted to get past the break, but it was still only, I was probably like 200 meters offshore. Okay. It was still only like maybe eight feet deep. Right. So it's not like, oh man, I'm out at open sea or anything like that. It's all very manageable. Um, swimming along and then four five foot lemon sharks swam just beneath me, so like cool. right along the bottom, yeah, which was super cool. But also, you know, it's like, dude, they're sharks. They're right <laughs> yeah. there. Sharks know? look like sharks. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that lemon sharks are not the most aggressive. Uh, and I found myself right. much calmer in the situation that I would have predicted. I was like, okay, I should probably get a little bit closer to shore and just kind of calmly pivoted towards shore. And it's not like any of them even noticed me or anything right. like that. Well, they probably um, noticed you, but they didn't right, care. Right, but they don't give a shit. Right. Right, which is, that's And they would go close to shore too. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that 200, it's not like they're staying at 200. Right. Do you know much about lemon sharks? No, would you like me to Google? Well, live right live now. Live Google? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not innocuous. Like they they have attacked people. I don't think they've ever killed no, anybody. No, no, no. It's, but, it's so rare for people right. to get even bit, it's crazy rare, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's it's insane. But they weren't small. I mean, they were like the length of no, the No, they can table. get 11 feet. They can get, they can get, those are probably juveniles. They can get, I'm just And they look at. like, you know, like it's not like they look different than what you would expect. Sharks always shark look, look so like. sharky, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They can be <laughs> unless they're like that. The, the funky kind of like port. That's port the, we just found the title whatever. of this podcast. Yeah. Sharks can look so sharky. I mean, leopard sharks. That's the quote graphic that we're going to use. Like nurse sharks have the little like catfish thingos that makes right. you realize that whale sharks still look sharky, but they you know they they don't yeah. bite you. But uh, everything from reef shark up. Uh, looks so sharky. Mm. Let's see what it says. What does it eat? It eats human known fingers. ultra athletes that exactly. wrote books. <laughs> That's a very small loves podcasters group of people. Mm. Um, yeah, they eat crustaceans. You know, they're not eating. They're not eating no, humans. I know. So that was a cool experience. I'd never had. I've never been out in the water and seen That's a shark cool. in the wild. Never. No. 
What about in Hawaii? So. Never seen it? Never seen reef sharks in Dolphins, Hawaii? Dolphins, but never, no. Really? Maybe tiny little sharks that I don't even remember, but nothing okay. that was like, wow, that's a, that's a legit- A legit shark. Group of sharks yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's fun. Um, in any event, the conference that I was at was just prior to the Bitcoin conference, okay. which is what brings, like that was like a big deal. So I left like the day before that started, but I have a bunch of friends that are Bitcoiners who came into town early. So I was able to see one or two of them. And Did you guys hit the clubs? It made me, no, like, but my, I have this friend, Peter McCormick. Yeah. Who has the biggest Bitcoin podcast. It's called What Bitcoin Did. Mm -hmm. And he came on one of our retreats to Italy several years ago. And I, he had this idea uh, of starting a Bitcoin podcast and I kind of helped him get it up on its feet. And now he's like the man in Bitcoin. Like he, he ended up like hosting essentially like a full day of the conference. Like he's a big name in that world. And it made me think like, oh, maybe Peter would be a good guest. Like I've never had anyone on to talk about Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I have a lot to We've attended there. to I talk would, about NFT. Part, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm the furthest thing from an expert on crypto. No. But it ain't going away. And that Bitcoin conference was a big deal. You know what my favorite thing about crypto is? The Larry David that commercial. That you don't have any of it? No. <laughs> the Larry David, I, I do have some. Oh, is that the Super Bowl commercial yeah, one? Yeah. I can't remember whether I saw that or not. Oh yeah, it's great. We'll, we'll link it in the show notes. There's mm. a long form on YouTube. Uh, I, uh, yeah, no, I do own some Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, some lesser known cryptos. <laughs> <laughs> some weird crypto coin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why is that? <laughs> no, I own some lesser known cryptos that I haven't quite taken off yet. I, I own like a, a negligible amount of Bitcoin. Like, like a quarter of a coin? I, oh, less than that. A quarter of a coin would be, I mean, Bitcoin's at 40 grand right now. Okay. So I think a quarter of a coin would be- 10 full grand? Yeah, it would be 10 grand. Okay. I don't have that. Larry Ellison, if you're listening, you can put that 25 straight into a Bitcoin. Right. percentage into your wallet, your crypto wallet. In my crypto wallet, <laughs> exactly. not yours, Larry. Um, but here's the thing. I returned from Florida with COVID, <laughs> which is interesting because I, feel I, thought, like I thought COVID didn't exist in Florida, but maybe that's why I didn't start to experience symptoms until I was on the plane home. I like that joke, but Rich, I think it's good. You left Miami with a communicative disease like you should have. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I interacted with hundreds of people. Yeah. It was spring break. The Bitcoiners were coming in. You town. also went to I spring break? On, well, spring, like you're in these hotels at Miami Beach and yeah. it's just like, oofa, 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 <laughs> oofa, like at the pools all day long and all night. You can't escape it. And the music, let's, I, you know what? I Do, like does, dance music. I like I'm, house this music. This is where I'm an old man. Yeah, listen, I'm like, I like dance music. Like I like, music? I like the old, I like the disco house, the old stuff. This crap, this like Miami version, it's, Remarkably Well, what's bad. interesting is that in Miami, everywhere you go, that's the soundtrack. <laughs> I went to the um, Time Out food court, like yeah. Time Out builds these food courts all over the world with mm -hmm. like, and they're pretty cool spaces. And I had, they'd built one on Lincoln Road in Miami and I'd never seen it or been to it. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go check it out. And I walked in and it was like, oomph, oomph, like so loud in there right. that I did a loop and just walked out. I was like, I can't, I can't eat in here. Oh, that was the dinner soundtrack. No, it was in the middle of the day. What? Let, let me let me hear. What was the soundtrack? It's again? just oomph, oomph, you know, like come on. All right. Anyway, wait. wait. <laughs> what what hotel did you stay in? Uh, I was at the W. Is the standard still there? 
Because they closed here, uh, but the standard there is cool. The standard was there, but the Delano, which was kind of like the OG hotspot is spot. closed down right now. Okay. And that used to be the furthest North than anybody would go in South Beach before it kind of got gnarly. Mm-hmm. Now it goes quite a bit further North, but there's still, you know, it's like, it's an interesting spot. Like I, I like Miami. I think I Miami I think Miami has some charm. Some people don't like it because it looks like shallow on the surface. I like that it's like this Pan Amer- great Pan American city, probably the only Pan American city where people from all over Latin America live. It's a true bilingual city mm-hmm. it's um it's got great uh cuban and just latino food in general mexican cuban whatever everything's there yeah and if um, you're there and you want to eat plant-based you got to go to love life okay in winwood so our friends diego and veronica own this restaurant they're geniuses it is the best plant-based restaurant I've ever been. Really? And that's like I say that like I've been wow. to a lot of places like, you're going to get a lot I of phone it. calls and texts I know I love it <laughs> They're so good. Diego's recipes are incredible. Does I just, he have a cookbook? I love it. I shared it. No, they don't, they don't have a cookbook. I think one of the recipes is going to be in in Dan Butner's next book, okay. which is coming out soon. Oh, cool. Um, and they're making some cool moves that that aren't public yet, but I'll be sharing about soon. Butner, I love Butner's them. Living out so, there. So yeah, right? that's my recommendation. Um, love life mm. in Winwood. Good stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, I came back. I came back with COVID. That's why there was no roll on last week, right? Uh, which is, you know, we would have typically done it then. How was um, it for you? It was pretty mild. You know, I was vaccinated, so within a couple of days, I was kind of over it. I didn't lose my taste. I didn't lose my smell. I had two nights where I experienced some form of fever and chills. So for forty eight hours, just at night, I got like you know sh- shivery or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically just kind of achy and weak for a couple of days and then it passed. So did you isolate somewhere in the house? I isolated in my tent. You stayed in the so tent. So I was like the English patient. <laughs> you were it was like, you were, you know, <laughs> Tyler was joking. The He's smallpox like, guy's it's in like, his tent. It's like it's 1910 <laughs> yes. and you're recovering from consumption. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, that's in isolation that's in very tent funny. In the backyard. The only problem is it was like 95 degrees out. <laughs> so the tent got way too hot yeah. in the middle of the day for me to convalesce. Right. But yeah, I isolated um, and everybody else in the family is fine. Um, I basically just hydrated, slept, rested. I did do a five day course of Paxlovid, which is an antiviral that was recommended to me. Um, And I think that probably expedited how quickly I got over it. In addition to that, I took a lot of supplements. I took about 40,000 IUDs of, of vitamin D every day, vitamin C, vitamin K, quercetin, curcumin on top of what I typically take, which is just a multivitamin, athletic greens, B12 and stuff like that. So so your pee yeah. was like rainbow color. It was very, yeah, it was very yellow. <laughs> it was very yellow. Um, but three and a half days in, I was pretty much fine. Uh, I had talked to a bunch of athletes who were cautioning me not to get back into any kind of training um, and to really take my time with it. Um, because it can snap back on you. Right. I've had friends that have taken three weeks off, uh, but I felt like five days in, I was like, I felt completely fine. So I went back to the pool at on day six, I think for a light swim and I've just been slowly building since then, but I feel hundred percent now. Nice. But I did miss, I think seven days of training. Uh, so in the context of training for this you know, long open water swim, that is not too, far away in the future uh, that, you know, definitely set me back. Seems like you're rocking it though from Instagram stories. Okay. It's 
been nice to just be in the pool and focus on swimming every day. Cause during all of the ultra endurance races that I trained for, I would only swim two or three days a week because right. the focus was on other stuff. So it's been decades since I just focused on swimming and kind of swam pretty much every day. And um, it feels good. I feel strong and getting stronger every day. You look great. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Um, what else we got? A quick little piece of housekeeping before yeah. we move into the next thing. Matthew Walker, who was in Miami, I talked to him about coming back on the podcast. Oh, cool. And I think what we wanna do is an AMA formatted conversation that's obviously specific to sleep. Um, we haven't scheduled it yet, but we'll be doing that at some point in the spring or the summer. And I thought it would be good to just make the announcement now, if you have a sleep question, you can submit that on our voicemail at 424-235-4626, or you can send an email to rrpstudio at richroll.com. So sleep questions only to that email from Matthew Walker. We'll go through all the questions, of course, find the best ones and kind of do a very structured sleep oriented conversation. Coming I'm soon. really not that great at sleep if Matthew cares to tinker with me or in any way. I think Matthew cares deeply, Adam. Yeah, he seems like a caring guy. He is, uh, yeah. he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's do our endurance sports check-in. We got a lot of news I know. to share let's do today. It. Where, where do you wanna start? Robbie Ballinger, of his course. John Henry, or as I call it, John Henry 2.0, or as I call him, Don Juan Henry. Don Juan, yeah, he is very charming with that mustache. <laughs> very swarthy. Don Juan Henry. Um, the idea was that he was going to outlast a Tesla, yes. outrun a Tesla. I think there's a lot of people who don't know. Tesla, John, you pronounce it Tesla. As opposed to what? Tesla. Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. Tesla. Like a Z with a Z vibe on it, that's Tesla. What you, that's what you said. I don't know. I'm not even consciously aware of how I'm <laughs> pronouncing it. Uh, my point though, is that you throw the name John Henry out, like everybody knows who that is. People don't know who John Henry people is? Might, Do they not learn that in school There might be a lot of people out there who are, who are less studied in, in American history, so spell it out. John Henry, uh, it was this period of time when um, basically people were, were building the roads and, and getting through mountains. So they were using, they would blow it up and then people would kind of go in with a pickaxe and like hack their way through mountains. Mm -hmm. um, and then the steam engine was invented. And John Henry was the greatest of them all. He did the work of 20 men. There's like folk songs about him. Yeah, he was like the David Goggins of road engineers. <laughs> he was the workhorse of beyond. Like he was like, you know, 50 men. He ate like, you know, uh, 10 steaks for breakfast kind of thing. I forget what it was, but he, um, and he was like revered. Um, and this steam engine came along and promised to put them all out of work. And so John Henry was challenged to beat the steam engine. I think he did it for his fellow workers. You know, let's let's show this this engine, who's boss, and the coal-powered steam engine versus John Henry. And John Henry was in a race, but it was a timed race. And John Henry beats the steam engine and basically then like dies like, on the spot. like uh, drilling through the, the side of a mountain, right? Type vibe, and uh, and then he dies at the finish right. line, um, but he wins. There's a great book called John Henry Days by Colson Whitehead, who I've name dropped on this podcast a few times before. It's one of his first books. It's, I think it's his second or third. Um, very, very, very funny, very poignant. It's excellent. Uh, and so John Henry Days, but, uh, and I actually recommended that to Robbie. 
in case he was interested. Right. Yeah. Well, not to spoil it, yeah. Ravi did not die no. at the end of his challenge. And it wasn't timed. It wasn't timed. And he did technically outlast the Tesla, although he didn't meet his kind of time goal. So yeah. basically this Tesla starts out on the outskirts of, of Austin and drives until it has a full battery charge and drives until the battery dies. It goes 242 miles. And Ravi's challenge was to um, run that distance from where the Tesla started in under 72 hours. Mm. He succeeded in running the full 242 miles. It took him a little bit longer, just under 77 hours. Um, and I think, you know, the heat and humidity of the Texas Hill Country, Crazy. Know, like an average of 93 degrees mm -hmm. Fahrenheit, plus 13,000 feet of elevation gain. We think of Texas as flat, but they right. did it in the Hill Country. So lots of ups and downs um, was, you know, it laid the pain on him. It's a lot of miles. Um, and I had serious FOMO watching this because I was invited to attend and support and I really wanted to, but I had just gotten back from Miami and didn't feel like I could leave town again. Plus I had COVID, so I couldn't have gone even if I had uh, agreed to do it. So I just watched it on Instagram like everybody else. But what was cool is so many cool people and friends of the podcast were there to support Robbie. We had Hella was there, Hella, Hella Sidibe, of course. Dan Churchill, who hasn't been on the podcast, but is a good friend of mine. He is the uh, owner and head chef at Charlie Street in New York City. Mm -hmm. Just an amazing dude. Uh, a guy that everybody should follow on Instagram. He shares recipes and training stuff, super positive fit dude, Australian contributor to Chris Hemsworth Center app. Um, oh, I just, really? I love this guy. And he's an incredible athlete as well. So Dan underscore Churchill. He's very Instagram. photogenic. He's very handsome and charming. Yeah. And positive. Must be nice. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, Robbie, of course, is Robbie Ballinger on Instagram. There's his page if there you're watching is. on YouTube. So he was sharing, of course, you know, images and videos along the way. Um, but here's the idea basically, outlast a Tesla. And he did. He did it. We had Hella there as well. Here's Hella with uh, another guy who showed up William to support Go Robbie, William Googe. Googe. Googe, who Robbie supported when William ran the circumference of the, U I think he ran around the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, like a year ago and Robbie went out to crew for him and support him. He's an incredible athlete, very unique human being. He ran like 48 marathons in 30 days. Crazy. And then in the week, like prior to Robbie's challenge, he did Marathon to Saab uh, and he shared all his WHOOP scores. Like I think WHOOP posted a bunch of stuff like on their website. Maybe I can find a link to that. And then like a day later, he went to Zurich and ran a marathon there. And then he flew to Austin, did the Robbie thing. And uh, and then he went like straight to Coachella. And now he's like a hype beast in Coachella. Like this guy, like he wears gold chains. He's very like, he's like a hype beast. Um, and there's something like kind of cool. The, I like that the baggy sweats that. are back. I've I noticed clothes I mean, are gotten baggy. I mean, he's a style master, yeah. this dude. Like, you know, check him out. But like a beast of an athlete. And it was cool that Robbie supported him. And then he flew all the way, you know, basically halfway around the world to support Robbie. Here's William at uh, MDS. Oh, nice. Looking like a fashion model Stud. out on the sand. Um, anyway, really cool. Congrats to Robbie for his latest adventure that was- uh, You mean Don Juan Henry. Don Juan Henry, supported by 10,000, of course, uh, that works with um, Dan Churchill and I. Yes. Among another, you know, a group of really cool athletes. So it was kind of a 10,000 sponsored challenge. It was. 
Yeah, and it was it'd be cool, cool to, to see what what Robbie does next. It he didn't. Keeps, it looked uh, at, at one point. It looked like he was real shaky. Like he could move if he if he was moving, he was fine. But like mm-hmm. like getting up from his um, support vehicle and getting back on his feet, man, there were times where he wobbly. was like lean, he was real yeah. wobbly. Yeah, yeah, super wobbly. Yeah. And then he was running like no problem. But then he was fine. Yeah, and that's the way these ultras are. Right. You look yeah. like oh, there's no this guy's done. You know, there's no way he can't even walk. And then a couple hours later, or night falls gets a little bit cooler out, get some calories and some food, a little bit of a nap. And then all of a sudden it's a new human. Amazing. So Congrats, good Robbie. on you, Robbie. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't there to support you. We love you though. And it's uh, it's cool to see you continue to inspire people all over the world. 100%. Um, but Robbie plays a big part in the next dispatch from the world of endurance that we're gonna talk about today. Yes, the O's Perlman record, yeah. Um, you know, if you if you have not uh, seen, I mean, I, th- I feel like your listeners and our listener, our listeners, our I feel listeners. like they're our listeners. Own it, Adam. Our listeners um, are aware of what happened. You were you were uh, Instagramming about it, tweeting about it. Um, O's Perlman, O's the Mentalist, who was just recently a guest on this here program, wanted to set the record for the FKT for most loops around Central Park. He ended up doing 19 loops, 116 miles. In a day. In a day. And the, the, the it's important to note it's that- It's 18 the, hours, 50 minutes. Yeah, they don't, it's only the part, that loop is only open during certain hours of the day, like 6 a.m. to 1 a.m. or something like right, that, right? That's right. 6 a.m. and you can't, you can't start till 6.05 and you have to finish at 12.55. Mm-hmm. So it gives you 18.50 when, um, and he's breaking Robbie's record. Robbie did 16 loops. And and he Robbie held the second FKT, so it's not that like it's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. It started in in uh, twenty twenty. Someone laid down, uh, I believe it was twelve loops. Loops. It's in the article. Aaron Zolhuffer, I believe, is his name. And by the article, you must be referring to the New York Times article that you wrote. Yes. So I was I was lucky enough to be able to cover it. So I knew O's was going to go for this. O's, you know, the backstory of the whole article is that. Uh, David Goggins invited me to a Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic when O's was like having to transition his business from live shows to Zoom. And I'd heard of O's before, but I hadn't really, um, you know, I wasn't really that acquainted with, with how great he was. And I sat in on this zoo and I zoom and I saw him predict like the the serial numbers on some dollar bill in some dude's wallet, like two thousand miles away from him through Zoom. Uh-huh. And I I realized, wow, this guy's amazing. And then quickly after that, I found out he was a great runner. And so I stayed in contact with him, uh, just mostly Instagram messaging. And then I, you know, said if there's ever an event he's going to tackle, let me know because I think it would be a cool story. And he was going to do last summer Montauk to Manhattan, 170 miles but it didn't, didn't end up happening. And so I'd already gotten New York Times Sports interested in that. And then he called, he called me like two weeks before this. So three weeks ago now, two weeks before this and said, what do you think of me doing this? And, I'm, and I said, I think that's great. And so I talked to my editor who's in charge of endurance and adventure sports at New York Times. Her name is Talia Minsberg. And we talked about O's and she quickly got on board. And, and so I did it, you know, at first I said, you're the New York Times at Central Park, like I can't get there and you don't need me there. You have a whole, mm-hmm. op- you have a whole office of reporters, really good ones. Why don't you just do it? I, I wasn't even gonna do it. And, uh, or that's how I pres- positioned it. But um, 
it turns out she wanted me to do it. So uh, I ended up having to report it remotely. But Hillary Swift, who did amazing photographs, she was also kind of my eyes and ears. So we stayed in contact. I was obviously watching him on Instagram. I FaceTimed with him. I called him. I texted I mean, everything. So right. I, had, I had full access, but it was interesting that it was a remote story. And um, you talked to Robbie also. I talked to Robbie beforehand. So I interviewed uh, O's and Robbie the week before. And so that was cool. It was my first chance to really talk to Robbie and understand what he's about. So he's in. He's mentioned in there. Um, the best story that's not in there is, is uh, there's a guy named George A. Hirsch. Have you heard of George A. Hirsch? Mm -mm. He's the chairman of the New York Roadrunners. He's like 87 years old, I believe. And he, uh, he also is a giant in publishing. He, he started New York Magazine. He went on to become the global edit, first global editor of Men's Health. Wow. So the, I mean, uh, yeah, and so head of Men's Health, started uh, New York Magazine, also a giant in, in running. Not only is he now the acting chairman of New York Roadrunners, he is the founder of the Five Borough New York Marathon. Wow. So he changed that whole course mm -hmm. and was an early runner. Like in the 60s, he's running around, nobody's running. Um, anyway, so he became friends with O's many years ago. And uh, so he knew about, you know, he's, 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 he's known him for a long time. And at one point when his wife was in the hospital, she died of cancer. And when she was in the hospital after like a treatment went bad, O's was out on a long run and stopped by. And you could tell he was running, he stopped by to, to lift her spirits because they'd had dinner, they, they were close. And uh, he comes in and says, to his way, you know, he does a whole he does a whole thing with his wife to lift her spirits. And at, at one point, he's like, "This is what George described." He says, "He says, uh, I want you to think of one person that is famous and one person who's not." And she said, "Okay." And, he, and then he goes over to her laptop and he pulls up a picture of Bill Clinton and turns it to her. And she's like, "Of course, wow, you, uh -huh. know, you know, it's crazy." <laughs> and then, and then. Uh, I want to get this right, so I'm going to go to. The, then she, then he r scribbles down a note to, uh, you know, and hands it to her, and she opens up the note, and um, let me just make sure I get it. And she opens up the note, and it's uh, it says, "Say hello to Shirley." And George's wife was named Shay. That's Shay's childhood best friend from Idaho, Shirley. And so, like, that's the kind of stuff he's yeah. doing. And the fact that he took his time out and he did that. I think that's amazing. And I, I really wanted George to be part of the story, but there just wasn't enough words. And so uh, they ended up using an example of what he did to me, which at mile 80, mm -hmm. right. which was- You're on the phone with him. Yeah. He's on mile 80. Mile he's 80. He's like running while talking to you on the phone. Uh, FaceTime. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Adam, I want you to think of uh, a friend. And I said, okay. And he goes, he said, no, you're not thinking. If it's a friend, I could find, I could, I could have researched. I could, uh, you're thinking less clearly than me and I'm at mile 80. I want you to think of your first crush. And so I said, okay, thought of my first crush. Then he asked me, you know, how many letters were in her name or think of how, yeah. No, he said, he said think of her name. Okay, and then, he, then he didn't ask me how many letters he said. He said, I want you to count the letters in her name. I said, okay, done. And, he, and, that's, and he goes, see, now I know it's a short, short name. name. Yeah, he yeah. got that right away. But that still doesn't, I mean, it's, it was an odd name. And, uh, and so then, you know, pretty quickly he gets it. It's Roz, R-O-Z. It's a really remarkable how quickly he gets it. Um, and this is someone I haven't talked to, I haven't heard from, I haven't had any contact with in decades. Uh -huh. um, so there's impossible for him to, like, it's just incredible. And he's, he's running and he's miles running. at this point. I mean, he right. did that 
time and time again, we just put up a video of kind of behind the scenes of when he mm-hmm. was here, where he's screwing around with the with the with the team here and doing all kinds of shenanigans, Amazing. and it's just it's unbelievable. Yeah, Blake, who the hell is Eamon? So that was the version of what he did yeah. to Hirsch's wife, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah. he basically pulls this name out of nowhere. Yeah. So quickly. So he's a magic, he's a magical man. It is wizardry. Yeah, it's really awesome. And uh it was a lot of fun to write it and it, it was it was it was cool. It was one right. of those one of those stories I'll remember. So if you're if you're watching on YouTube, we're just kind of sharing the New York Times article. And in print, it was beautiful. I mean, they put yeah. all of these photographs in there and it was a full page deal. So that's gotta be cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it And was how cool. does it work with it the New York Times? To, to A1. Oh, to, yeah, T's day one, yeah, right? That's you know, a big deal. Yeah. Like, so you submit, you you get like the green light to write this thing. Right. They assign a photographer, even though you're not there, yep. you do your reporting, you write the thing, you turn it in, and then it goes through like a fact checking and an editorial process, right? And they strip a bunch of stuff out of it. I mean, I think it depends on the desk. With sports stuff, I do my own fact checking. I want it real tight. So what happens is I, I report it, I'll file it, and then um, depending on the quick turnaround, this one we published Monday. So there mm-hmm. wasn't like, they, they, had, they had stuff already Saturday and Sunday covered. So they didn't need more stories. And so we were later than everybody else, which means you have to be better than everybody else. You have to be smarter, right? So, um, so we, but we also had more space. So, we, so I file it and then um, Talia does an edit, gets it back to me. I might make some changes. Then uh, she, there's a second edit, like a like a copy edit, top edit. In that period of time, I'm doing all my fact checking, and then I. Uh, so anything I'm not 100% certain on, I will call whoever. Mm-hmm. So with O's, I had to call him like three times on right. one day. Um, and then he yeah. here's the other thing. So we didn't even say what he did. He did he did 19 loops, 116 miles. Right, crushes the record. Yep, um, goes home. It's, you know, at that point, it's like what, two in the morning or something like that. Goes yeah. home, grabs a couple hours of sleep and then has a 1 p.m. flight to Augusta because yes. he's doing a show yes. at the Masters yes. the next day. Totally fine. He's and then fine. He, share, he shares this and he's like, I feel guilty for not running today or I feel like I need to go running. He, he only lost one Because he's on toenail. a streak, I think too. Yeah, yeah he, well, no, he took a week off. He, oh, he took did. a week off. Okay. Um, shout out Hillary Swift, the photographer. She was on a bicycle like, riding around with him all day. She must've done 50 miles on the bicycle. And she's a she's a good marathoner. She's a sub four hour mm, marathoner. And friends with Alexi. And friends Pappas. with Alexi Pappas. And Talia, the the uh, editor on this was also just ran Boston today. Mm. And she's a sub four hour marathoner. So we're gonna talk about Boston, but let's yep. take a quick break and we'll be right back. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology, technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, 
built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, waking up offers the app for free. 
astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. All right, and we're back. We're gonna talk about Boston for a couple minutes. Today is Monday. Mm. So Boston was just run and concluded right before we started recording. By the time anybody listens to this, it will be Thursday at a minimum. So there'll be lots of articles out and hot takes, et cetera. So I don't wanna spend a ton of time on this other than to just kind of note a couple interesting performances. Um, first of all, friend of the pod, Scott Fauble, been on the show before for a previous amazing Boston experience. Uh, he came in as the fastest American in seventh, ran mm. PR of 208.52, seventh fastest American of all time. And what's interesting is that he's unsponsored right now. Really? So he literally wore a Lululemon tank top that he bought himself off the rack. Incredible. Which is crazy. Yeah. Right? He's gonna be sponsored now. Um, and interestingly, he even split the race. He went from 22nd to seventh in the second half, ran 64.26 for the first half and 64.26 for the second half, which is mental. unbelievable. Fastest American man since Meb in 2014. So a burrito for you, sir. That's his thing, burritos. We love you, Scott, congratulations. There were a lot of eyes on this athlete, CJ Albertson. He ended up being the third American, ran a 210, his PR. Um, and the reason there's a lot of eyes on him is that he kind of, uh, he led Boston last year for the first, I don't know, 21 miles or something like that. Yeah, I think 21 miles, he led the race. He's a rabbit, he loves to be super fast. aggressive and he's been sharing his workouts on Strava and he's just an absolute maniac. So everyone's like, this guy's gonna crush it based on what he was posting right. in this public forum. Um, his final long run leading into Boston was a 22 mile run where he averaged five minute pace. So mm. he's a beast. And he sprinted like right off the start <laughs> of, of Boston and like led immediately and like really, you know, aggressively kind of forced um, the lead pack into you know a pace that was probably uncomfortable for most. So good for him. That's cool. On the women's side, Evans Shabet won for the men. Right. Just looking yeah, up. we yeah. should have yeah. we should have noted who Kenya. actually won the race yeah. correctly. Thank you and uh, congrats to him. Yes. On the women's side, Olympic and New York City Marathon champion Perez Jep Chircher. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. From Kenya, won. Uh, it was an epic final mile duel with the half marathon world record holder, Ababel Yeshane. Oh, really? I'm pronouncing that as well from Ethiopia. Um, Perez ran 221.01, second fastest ever at Boston. Yeshane ran 221.05, so just four seconds separating them. Wow. Their final mile was a 523 mile. That's how fast these women were running. That's amazing. Um, but just of, of kind of personal interest, uh, 42 year old Edna Kiplagat got fourth running 221, Insane. destroying her own master's record. 42 Insane. years old, 221, that's unbelievable. Nell Rojas was the top American with a 225.57 performance. Um, among the other American women who were getting a lot of attention, Stephanie Rothstein Bruce um, ran a 228. Des Linden, friend of the podcast, yep. was the third. American, she ran 228. Molly Seidel, there was a lot of eyes on her and she ended up dropping out. Did she not even toe up? 
no, she towed up and I can't remember at what point she dropped out. I mean, okay. again, I just glanced at results right. in Twitter quickly before we started recording. So my take is half-baked at this point. Okay, cool. I do know that Knox Robinson, of course, was there running because he goes to every cool marathon. Alexi Pappas, interestingly, ran as uh, a guide to a blind athlete, Lisa Thompson. Amazing. So that's pretty cool. And also, and this is kind of a, a story that's a bit aside that I've been tracking and paying attention to, yes. ultra runner and amputee Jackie Hunt Brorsma, and I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correct, also ran Boston. It was the 91st consecutive marathon that she's run. She's <laughs> on pace to set a new world record, uh, 92 days into her goal to run 102 marathons in as many days, and which is pretty cool. Amazing. So I think Boston was, was it day 90? Maybe it was day 92, I'm not sure. Have you run Boston? Uh, I have not. How many marathons have you run? N none really. Oh, you haven't done well, an official I, marathon? I did, no, I did the Long Beach Marathon like early in my ultra career okay. and was humbled by that. And that's the only legitimate like marathon that I've ever- Do you ever want to run New York? I know you love in. New York. Well, I got a charity slot for New York this year. I've got to heal my back though, because right. I'm not running at all right, right now, but I'd love to be able to go and participate in yeah. the New York City Marathon in the fall, we'll see. Um, let's talk about St. George. Let's do it. What about it? I, I, I'm a little- you. I threw the ball to you. You're, I, you're fumbling a little, little bit. <laughs> Come on, this is your jam, dude. You, you've been following the Norwegians. I have, I have. Were, I thought you I, were gonna go to St. George and be I was on going, the ground I was, report. I, I was supposed to go to St. George at one point, but um, it's just not gonna happen for me, unfortunately. Um, but I'm really excited to see what Christian Blumenfeld can do and, and some of the other guys, Gustav um, Eden as well. Um, the Norwegians are ready to drop the hammer, but it does seem like this race is lost a little shine for me. I was excited to see Lucy Charles Barclay who won the half out there, the world championship. And she was kind of like rounding in a form right. and feeling really good about her form. I interviewed her. Um, for that same story I did um, on Christian and the, the Norwegians. And um, so she felt, you know, she was like really confident then and to have a fracture like that in the hip is unfortunate because it seems like that could take a little while. Um, and then Jan Ferdino, who I also interviewed for that story, who I was very excited to see run, um, he also mm. is, is- Yeah, I um, heard that he's out, out but I, why yeah. is he out? What happened to him? Um, I didn't, I didn't uh, follow up on that, unfortunately. I'm sorry, it's been very busy. I've been busy. Adam, I'm sorry. You're working on a top secret, secret project that we'll be able to talk about soon, but <laughs> yes, we can't yes, talk about yeah, it right yeah, now. Yeah. But I was, uh, you know, he's 42 years old. So like you want, but I think that having talk, having spoken to him, most likely he's gearing up his year. You know, when you're, I think he, everything orients for him to the North Star of Kona. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know that he wants to do Kona and I know he reveres Kona. I know he wasn't really super stoked with the idea of racing outside of Kona. Right, so just yeah. for people that don't know, this St. George Ironman is taking place on May 7th yeah. and it's been set up St. George, Utah, an Ironman World Championship. Right because of COVID and all these other last kind of year, reasons. It's last like, year's World right, Championship. It's la yeah, because it's they couldn't do it in, in, they canceled it in Kona because yeah. if there had been an outbreak, they would not have been able to handle it on that island. The island was have, like basically saying, we don't think you should do it. And right. then that kind of stopped. So this is last year's World Championship, but Kona will still is scheduled to take place in October as same, usual. Same, yeah. So right. it's still supposed to happen. They're not, they're not, divorcing from Kona by any means, but they're they're interested in seeing, Iron Man as a brand is interested in seeing 
what's going to transpire. Will this like, maybe people won't miss it. Maybe they can travel every other year from Kona to cities around the world because Europe is such, is, is kind of where the sport's happening now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, it's mm-hmm. so funny because when it really started California, like San Diego, Santa Cruz, Mark Allen, right. uh, Hawaii, like that was the epicenter of triathlon. Um, some Australians too, but mostly it was like San Diego, North County, yeah. San Diego yeah. was really where the heartbeat of the whole thing. And then Boulder was. came into it, but mm-hmm. but um, but it was always really North American focused. And if you look at now the rankings and all the big athletes, it's European focused. Yeah. So to to be able to take everyone, I think this St. George is setting them up to maybe see, hey, can we do it in Berlin? Can we do, can we make it a more interesting thing for the sport? Right. Um, which I like that idea, but then to come back every other year to Kona, that's how it was kind of told to me. I like that idea. Yeah. I think it is important to shake this up a little bit yeah. and try to make it more interesting. There is something you know epic about the legacy of Kona and Kona is what it is, but frankly, you know, it's not that interesting of a course. Like you're on the Queen right. K going, uh, it's like, I've spent a lot of time on the Big Island. I've done a lot of riding on the Queen K. After you've done it a couple of times, you're like, is there anywhere else to ride? Like, right. I think that the sport would benefit from mixing it up, putting the world championships every other year in a different um, setting with a different type of course that would favor or disadvantage a different type of athlete to really make it interesting. Well, that's what's interesting about this course. It's gonna be hillier. Mm-hmm. Um, the cycling will be different. Uh, the the swimming you're swimming in a lake versus the warm sea. Um, May is not always hot in St. George, so yeah. it's it, it'll be interesting to see. And I yeah I agree with you. Like the cinematics of imagine doing a race and you know moving it around like Paris or or uh, you know Tokyo or wherever it mm-hmm. is. Uh, I think that that there is an appeal there. But we'll see how it goes. And uh, but I am kind of bummed that that these two big stars are out. You're always bummed when the two big stars are out. But I think. Really, it was always going to come down. Will the Norwegian experiment work? You know, right. will, will they will they have a world Ironman champion? Yeah. yeah. Well, what's cool is that there has been some shit talking going on. Um, if you want to be on top of that, the best follow on Twitter is Brad Culp, who's a journalist in the triathlon space. He's at BB Culp on Twitter, um, and he tweeted the other day: triathlon needs rivalries. And a few weeks ago. Joe Skipper, who's a British pro, he's uh, the UK Ironman champion, started talking a little bit of smack about the Norwegians and saying, <laughs> you know, don't believe the Norwegian hype train. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. and when we talk about the Norwegians, what we're really talking about is Christian Blumenfeld and, and Gustav Eden, yeah. um, who are just crushing it right now. And what's great is that there's this training uh, video on YouTube. It's, uh, it's Gustav and Christian on a track with snow everywhere, throwing down like insane intervals. In Sierra Nevada, in, uh, Spain. Yeah, at altitude, yeah. right? And yeah. they're just hauling ass. And at about 1040 or something into this video, we'll share it for those on YouTube. Uh, Christian's got a little bit of a, a response. Here he is. He just dusted Gustav on this set, pulling away from him. Whatever you do, don't delete it. I mean, we should hide. <laughs> A little uh, reverse psychology from the Norwegian hype train. He looks great, doesn't he? Norwegian hype train is looking good. (laughs) If I was a betting man, 
I'm not I, betting against I mean, these guys. I mean, me neither. I, you know? I, I think I think he's already shown what he can do at the distance, uh, Christian. And Gustav has too, quite frankly. He right. had a very fast race as well but in, the, in Florida. But the, the sort of source of this is, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. The source of this is that, you know, look, Christian's only, he did Cozumel, but right. he's not that experienced at Ironman. Fair. And, you know, and he didn't, and he didn't have a great half. Head here. He didn't have a Correct. great half in St. George. Correct. So we'll see. All right. Well, we'll report back on that yeah. in the wake of May 7th. Um, we got to talk about the Rollies. The Rollie winners. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we announced the nominees for the first annual Rollies? Do I remember? <laughs> yes. No. I, you don't I, remember? I blanked it out completely. You know how I feel like people have received the Rollies? They're like my parents, who, by the way, are devout listeners now of yours. Yeah, how do they feel about the Rollies? My dad wasn't really thrilled by them. My mother really liked them. And I think that's kind of like 50-50, yeah. right? Are, it was an you... interesting response. Like, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people were like, come on, man, really? You're gonna waste my time with this? My time is limited. But we introduced them saying like, we're gonna now waste your time Yeah, yes. with a bunch of nonsense. I mean, So tune out. Or enjoy. I mean, it's entertainment. It's your choice. It's entertainment. Right? Yeah. That's what we're doing. Are yeah. we entertaining? I'm not sure. We're somewhere. Are we're we like, wasting your time? Probably. <laughs> we're infotainment. Yeah, okay. Um, so, what do you think? Are you we're committed? We're knee deep in this, so we have to see it through. Are you committed now, though? I you am commi wait? I'm committed. So we're doing year two. I'm committed. So for year two, we also have to come up with a trophy. I agree. Yeah. Or trophies. I think year two, we have, we have special guests. Yeah. I think that would be good. We could have a lot of hype leading up to who yeah. the nominees are going to be. We nominate, maybe we don't nominate <laughs> we, on, we could on just the air. We could dominate roll on content. We, we don't nominate on the air. We do a extended rollies uh, for the winners. We don't nominate on go. the air. All right. Yeah. Well, we got to report back on who the winners are. And what's great about this Google form, thank you to everybody who voted. They come back Hundreds at you of responses. with like, yeah, we got, we got like <laughs> pie charts. We got analytics on this whole thing. It's unbelievable. So, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Let's no. rifle through it. Let's do First it. First category, best endurance performance in an RRP supporting role. Who lobbied for this award the hardest? <laughs> we all know who did. It was Jeez. Jason Camiolo. He wanted it badly. He posted about it on social media. He courted voters. Who knows what else he was doing? Sending checks out, holding cocktail parties, <laughs> he really, pulling a full he, Miramax it's campaign. It's a scandal. It's a scandal. He changed his avatar on Instagram to the Rolly symbol. It worked. This is how bad he wanted it. It, it. worked. And you know what? He shall be duly rewarded because he walked away with 49.7% of the wow. vote to be the 2021 victor he in the category us. of best endurance um, performance in an RRP supporting role. Congratulations, congratulations, Jason. I wish we had a trophy for you. It was actually Jason's idea that we get a trophy. I think he wanted it for himself. We didn't get it together in time. Maybe we can do it posthumously. Um, I'd like to just for the record say I voted for everyone but me. Blake, I think yeah. I, I was one of your two votes. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Davey came in second with 22.6% yeah. of the vote. Then we've got Adam, yeah. you got 22.3. <laughs> Poor Blake, courteous Blake, gentleman Blake. Yeah. We'll have to work on that for next year. What do you get, 5. I think Blake, Blake, Blake's votes. impressive arc in becoming a competitive athlete is not being duly. Uh, I, I think there's an argument that here. Blake is the best athlete. I think that probably is true. Yeah. And the most diverse. Yeah. But 
We'll have to wait for another year. But that didn't matter but when the pressure day. is on the staff <laughs> to really up their game for the following year. I see this category just getting more and more competitive. I see my resume not changing at all. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. You could be the constant. In yeah, this, I'll do the uh, same three right. things every year. Um, all right, next category, best endurance performance of the year by an RRP guest. Yes. The nominees were Hella Sidibe, Robbie Ballinger, Courtney Dewalter, Harvey Lewis, Leah Goldstein, mm. Yaron Cowboy, Timothy Olson, Lewis Pugh, and Jason Caldwell. Walking away with victory with 42.9% of the vote is, drum roll, we need sound effects, Jason. The Yaron Cowboy. Yes, Well-deserved, yes. congratulations, James. Good Moving job, on, James. we have a lot of categories to get through here. Yes. Coolest person of 2021. <laughs> The nominees were Johnny Greenwood, Rafael Nadal, Bo Burnham, Nirmal Persia, and, and Billie, Billie Eilish. Eilish. And victorious with 28.7% of the vote this year is one Billie Eilish. It's not really fair that- Headlining Coachella this yeah. past weekend, by yeah. the way. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, Billie and Rafa are like two legit stars. It's kind of yeah. not fair to the I others. feel like Johnny Greenwood didn't get enough love. I know, that was your, that was your guy. 6.1%. <laughs> He got so little that there wasn't enough room to actually write the percentage in his little slice. Where of did pie. you have? When did you have time to vote for him forty-eight times, Rich? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I didn't vote. You know, I stayed out of this. Um, here, you want to handle this next one? Best limited series about narcissistic self-mythologizing, aka scammers. Scammer series or Scammer founder series. television, I guess. Right? Yes, founder. My TV. favorite category, but I'm handing it over to you. Okay, super pumped. We Crash, The Dropout, Inventing Anna, Bad Vegan, and the winner is Bad Vegan. With 35.7% of the vote. Very yes. interesting. Uh, a low not, voter not, turnout on that one. Not the, uh, <laughs> not the best of that group, but I guess given the subject matter and interest of our particular yeah. audience, it's not surprising. But Inventing Anna came in the second, even though it's, it's not that great of a show, but that shows right. you the popularity of the show. That's so interesting. And by the way, like- the Dropout is the right. best of all of these. But the hardest to watch. In terms of quality. Yes, hardest to watch. Um, yeah, Inventing Anna is garbage. Didn't I say that last time? You, you did, but but I guess the how audience disagrees. Di how many people disagree with you? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, but maybe the best at self-mythologizing, I don't know. Anyway, all right, and next category. And I doubt, right? We gotta keep this moving. All I'm right. a host these days, right? Most RRP LARP-like film of 2021. The Alpinist, 14 Peaks, Don't Look Up, Roadrunner, The Rescue, Dope Sick. And the winner is? With 31.8% of the votes, 14 Peaks. Nims with a win. Nims, yeah. Nims was nominated this for two was roles. a little closer um, with Don't Look Up and Dope Sick, uh, pretty close on the heels. Yeah, but I, I like that this is like one of those, he's walking up and say, uh, Nims was nominated for two rollies this year and he <laughs> came home with one. That's right. Uh, best book by an RRP guest in 2021, another hotly contested competitive category. Mm. We got Bravey, Think Again, Why We Sleep, Dopamine Nation, Regeneration, Your Turn, The Awakened Brain, Stolen Focus, and Transcendence. And the winner is Adam. Bravey by Alexi Pappas. Audience we knew that favorite. would happen. Of course, yeah, yeah. everybody loves Alexi. Good job. Where's the, where's nice, the, how come nice everyone only claps really, for Jason? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's Alexi. We, we need like a, that little button drop with yeah. a little applause, you know? And, yeah. and also the music that like cues us off stage. <laughs> the little symphonic, like little ditty. We need that too. My favorite category is coming up. It had a right. lot of responses. Yeah, this was your, <laughs> I'll let you do this one because this was your 
this you came up with this category. Should we re, we're gonna have to revamp these put a little yes. more thought in the categories. Five categories next year. Max. Yeah, I don't know what we're doing. Okay. Best ritual Nuovo obsession. Sprouting. <laughs> Weightlifting, decoding the gurus, ice baths, and Adam's swim mask. Now this one, this must be very gratifying for you. This is a landslide. By a landslide, <laughs> the biggest obsession, the most rewarded obsession of the audience is Adam's swim mask. Yes. With an incredible 47.7% of the votes. <laughs> People can't get enough of the swim mask. In fact, when I posted pictures of me swimming in Florida, yes. people were outraged that yeah. I was not wearing the mask where, that you gifted me. <laughs> where was the mask? But where is that have mask? Have I ever expressed any interest in wearing a swim mask <laughs> while I'm open water swimming? No, I have not. It's your birthday that gift. That gift, I appreciate it. It was symbolic. Yeah. I could put it in like a Lucite case and keep it in my office, you should, you but should. I probably will never swim <laughs> with it. When you when you set up the ritual museum, yeah, then I think be, that's where it belongs. And I think given the, the way that the audience voted on this, <laughs> that will be the thing people will be most interested in seeing of anything that we've ever done in the history of It'll the show. It'll be great. It'll be like your mask and then my mask. My mask will be all corroded and used. Your mask will be pristine as if you could just, it's never been used. Right. But among the many other artifacts, signed books by luminaries or yes. whatever, you know, knickknacks that we've collected mm -hmm. over the years as a, as a result of hosting this show. Yeah. The swim mask will be the thing. The low-tech swim mask. That, that will go on the epitaph, you know, like of the show. My swim mask won a roly. I, I lost, go. but my swim mask won a roly. <laughs> right. What do we make of that? <laughs> like that, we could dissect that into an interesting yes. narrative. Yes. Um, all right. Next category, luckiest rocker of all time. All right. This is a, this is a garbage category. This was your idea. Uh, the nominees were Ringo Starr. <laughs> it's Star, a repudiation of George my theory. Harrison, and again, Ringo Starr. <laughs> So, okay. It's a repudiation. When you, when you, so, An outright repudiation of my What's interesting is that the, the first mention of Ringo Starr got 41.4% of the vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the second mention of Wins. Ringo got 42.5%. So Ringo walking away with a whopping uh, 80, 84% of the vote yeah. ostensibly. And, okay. and once again, my George Harrison theory does not hold water. Uh, Jason's clapping <laughs> Jason's back thrilled. there. I, I, you up? should be rooting for the drummer, my right, friend. Just, let's put this in the rear view mirror. All right. Uh, the dystopia you would most want to live in. Yeah. The nominees are Dune, Station Eleven, Don't Look Up, and Squid Game. Interesting. And the victory goes to Dune with forty-five point five percent of the vote. Would you rather live like with the giant worm trying to swallow you whole all the time? See, here's what I think people don't get when they're voting for this. They all imagine themselves as the hero in Dune. But most of us are not the hero. We're the no, people, you're we're the, like- you're like the slave we're drone. We're the slave drones. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta Out think of yourself that way. Driving the mining craft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And being victimized by the Bene Gesserit. Totally. You don't wanna be victimized no. by the Bene Gesserit. It's surprising that Station Eleven only got 25.4% of the vote. I, I chalk that up to people just haven't watched it yet because clearly that is the optimal dystopia that you wanna live in. <laughs> no, you don't wanna live in, in that dystopia. But if you survive it, then you're you fine and you can go like about your merry way as a Shakespearean actor. Maybe, I, I didn't see, <laughs> have quite a sunny reaction to no. don't look. I think I, But I there think... is something communitarian about it yeah. and celebratory about Ooh. trying to, you know, find meaning in your life in this post-virus world that they Agreed. live in. And they love Shakespeare. They do. Oh, and how they about seem this? To be, they seem to actually be enjoying themselves. All right, 
what if, if, as long as they're not getting killed. Uh, best performance <laughs> by an ice cream scooper in a leading role. This is yes. another Skolnick category. <laughs> you know, I don't what I don't what do I even say about this? Like, thank you. Two nominees: thank you. the Cold Stone guy or Adam at Ben and Jerry. Thank you, Adam, Fox. being crowned with his first Rolly victory. You. Adam Skolnick has been nominated for eight percent of the vote. Three Rollies. I mean, what are we even doing here? Why are we wasting people's thank time? Thank you, thank you, folks. Thanks for best streaming in. series. The nominees: White Lotus. Station Eleven, The North Water, Severance, and Succession. Uh, White Lotus winning with 35.1%. Yes. Severance, which has taken my top spot, actually behind Station Eleven. I love Station Eleven, but the, you Severance, have Station 11 over the Severance, Severance season finale was unbelievable. If you haven't watched that, I know I you heard. kind of lost interest. I heard, I heard, I gotta go back it's, in. It's an extraordinary achievement, that yeah. show. You gotta check it out. Shout out to Ben Stiller, unbelievable. Um, work from him and his team on that project. Uh, best film content, period, series film, whatever. Adam, you want to listen Bo to Bo Burnham here? for Inside. Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. <laughs> Villeneuve. Adam. Villeneuve. Dude. Uh, the North Water, Severance Station 11, and Rich's stealth TikTok account. Ugh. Why is that even a cat? That got 23.5%. More than my favorite show, The North Water, coming in with a dismal 6.7%. But it wasn't your favorite show. Your favorite right. show, just you just said two but shows you liked better. You're right. I've got lots of favorites. <laughs> the North Water though, I mean, come on. You know what? Richard that Skolnick- That show is unbelievable. Richard Skolnick is now, he hated the Rollies, but he was very interested in your North Water. Uh huh. So is he watching? He's, he's going to watch it. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. Hopefully, I've see the rollies do help. Um, but Bo Burnham walks away with the rolly with thirty point four percent. He's a genius. Well deserved. He is Let's indeed. Give it up for him. Um, honor roll, lifetime achievement <laughs> award for artist working film professional. There's no vote here. Frank Grillo is the guy. Honor roll. Right? I mean, good job, Frank. Frank. Uh, last category: most overrated, overhyped film of 2021. There was only one category here, The Matrix Resurrections. So it walked home with 100% of the vote as well. Well, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense <laughs> that the hero of the revolution would then opt back into the matrix. Right, let's just create a better matrix. <laughs> yeah. That's how that thing panned out. Yeah. Oh, anyway. All right, congrats. All right, we did it. So did it. you can be mad if you're still with us, but you know, we had to see it through. We had to see it through. And based on that, I'm not sure year two is going to happen, but it could. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It could, we'll see. I'm sure we'll be on the receiving end of some responses, both tepid and enthusiastic. Oh. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries, all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof, with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. What do we want to talk about next? A couple Let's things I want to mention. Yeah. Um, the first is... See what, wait, see what happened there? What? 
I tried to then get into it. I'm trying to, I okay, tried yeah, yeah, yeah. the timing. Me, I am throwing it to you. Sorry. Yes. No, this is Bill Spindle. I want to be a generous co-host, Adam. No, sorry. You, I interrupted no, you no, while, no. I, while I'm interrupting you again. <laughs> People get really mad that I interrupt you too much. I think it's a, I interrupt. You I too. do. And I plead guilty to that. Yeah, I do. Too. But also as a host, you're like, I got to move it forward. Right. What are you doing next? The energy adventurer is what we're doing next. Bill Spindle Substack. Your cousin? My cousin. Your cousin. A couple of years older than Tell me. Tell us about your cousin. So Bill Spindle, he's been my cousin my whole life. <laughs> uh, he's a couple of years older than me. He uh, is an amazing journalist. He's been a journalist his whole adult life. He was editor of The Daily at the University of Michigan. And okay. after that has just pursued this career. I think he got his graduate degree in journalism at Columbia. He worked for the Wall Street Journal for 20 years. He was the mm. former South Asia bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal covering India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. Also the former Middle East bureau chief. He lived in Abu Dhabi for many years. He was in uh, New York City living downtown working for the journal when 9-11 happened. Um, and it's just been covering climate change, energy, that sort of portion of the world for a long time. He's currently uh, a Council on Foreign Relations International Affairs fellow living in India. And he started the Substack to travel across India, cover climate change, and in a broader context, the transformation of the global energy system. Mm -hmm. And he's he's a wonderful writer and, He's sort of reporting boots on the ground and it's pretty cool what he's done. So in this world of subscriptions and so many Substacks, I think he's signal amidst the noise and everybody should check it out. So the link is billspindle.substack.com and I'll link that up in the show notes. Yeah, I read great stuff on the Indian railway system, which was really cool. It reads like a journalist that's been set free, you know, like- He like, doesn't have like to, he, right. Yeah, he, he's not he can, reporting to anyone. No, right? but he's, his reporting is still good. Like it's solid stuff, but yet it has uh, a voice and it has a, you know, we try to have a voice, but usually it's kind of restrained in journalism, but like mm -hmm. his set free and he's trying to, he has a point of view that's really interesting. And I mean, I think we always do, but like I said, it's usually restrained this time. It's kind of set free and I love it. And I, I've always said many times, the best travelers are journalists with their boots on the ground in any country and they mm -hmm. can teach us so much. So uh, I'm going to be staying yeah. staying tuned in to Bill. That's cool. I can yeah. see you in another life with a sub stack hoofing around the planet. Is this my two weeks notice? This is your multiverse. <laughs> like if you were living in a parallel universe. No, no, I, I can still- <laughs> You know what I mean? I, yeah. No, your job is secure. Okay, here, okay. What would we um, do without you? Um, you know, it's funny, I did that. You know, I did it for nine right. months a year for Lonely Planet, but But there was, it was a pre-substack world. It was pre-substacky. I don't think at that time I would have made much of a living on substack. I do have an idea for a substack, but I got to get some stuff done this year and then we'll we'll turn to it. Right on. Yeah. All right, well, one of the main things I wanted to talk about today is this recent article that Jonathan Haidt wrote for The Atlantic, which has been up now for, I don't know, at least a week and is still the number one most read story on the site. Is it? It's entitled, Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. Yes. So you wanna launch into this for us, Adam? Yeah, so the background of the story is, he launches with the story of Babel, the, the biblical story of the tower, uh, people who are um, technologically advanced, and they build this massive tower, but God curses them to make sure they can't communicate. And it becomes this metaphor for social media and what we've done and how that miscommunication has 
imperiled groups and institutions and the future of our country. I think he talks about it as America, but you know, this same problem is overseas. Many places have these exact same problems. It's mm -hmm. not just here. Brazil has had it. Burma's had it. Russia has it right now. And so the idea is how do we get to this point where people's idea of the truth are so completely divergent and not just people left and right, but within the right and within the left and, and what's happening to keep dialogue from happening and make us dumber. And mm -hmm. it really, he really hands it to Mark Zuckerberg, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he talks about the kind of inflection points along the timeline where this really tipped into being a real problem, where we went from this idea of social media being the great uniter and this uh, modality that would facilitate unity and communication into kind of the dystopic division that we're seeing uh, and the increasing acrimony between in-groups, I suppose, is a way of putting it. Um, and I think what's, you know, first of all, it takes like an hour to read this article. Like yeah. it's not a small thing. Like it requires you to really kind of like wrestle with it and grapple with it. It's incredibly well done. Yeah, He walks you through kind of like how social media evolved to the point where these algorithms, you know, are what they are that are, you know, increasingly creating these information silos, but- Pre-share, pre-retweet to exactly. post. Like it's really the, the share button did, and the retweet. The share, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what, and even that's what brought yeah. the algorithm in to reward those or to you yeah. know, basically serve up yeah. what people like to retweet and share the most. Yeah. But in addition to the use of Babel, you know, as a metaphor or as an analogy, it's also a way of approaching this subject matter through the lens of James Madison and the Federalist Papers. Yeah, that was cool. As well as de Tocqueville, which I think mm -hmm. is fantastic, right? Yeah. Like I'm trying to recollect my study of these individuals as, you know, uh, as a young college student. But, you know, essentially like what Madison was saying, which is true today is, you know, you just can't quite trust the masses. They right. get very emotional. They're factual. Which is kind of an anti-democratic idea, right? But what people often forget is that we don't live in a pure democracy. We live in a democratic republic. There are checks and balances on our purely democratic systems that favor kind of institutional stability. And mm -hmm. this was the whole idea with Madison's perspective in the Federalist Papers. And Haidt makes the case that that idea that warning that Madison was, you know, forecasting, we're seeing in reality getting played out in the democratic kind of forum of ideas that social media avails us of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that Madison's saying that humans kind of tend towards factionalization and, and mutual animosity. And so, and he kind of called this. And the Zuckerberg point of it is kind of like he paints Zuckerberg as this obviously no one's saying he's not a very, very smart guy. So he's this genius, but he's a very, very greedy, very, very naive genius who kind of bumbled his way into something that has costs that he couldn't comprehend. I mean, he, mm -hmm. you know, like he was so taken with his invention and the amount of power and money he was going to make that he didn't think of any negative costs. And so this idea of lack of skepticism, which started there has then been passed. I think he doesn't actually say this, but I think the fact that the founders of these platforms lacked so much skepticism in, in what could go wrong mm -hmm. or just simply ignored it. That lack of skepticism has been passed down to us now. And so now you have people, because one of my favorite parts of the story is he basically breaks down most of the people who are so political on these platforms are a very small minority of people. They tend to be wealthy white people and they're either far right or far left. Right. And one thing I notice when people who are super impassioned on social media platforms 
like to make points, almost always they're not skeptical of their own ideas. Right, there's not a lot of self-awareness around that. Hence the dumbing down. On both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he talks about this hidden tribe study that was implemented by this pro-democracy group called More in Common that surveyed 8,000 Americans in 2017 and 2018, and ultimately identified seven groups that shared beliefs and behaviors. And there's the one furthest to the right that they call the devoted conservatives, which comprise 6% of the US population. And the one that's furthest to the left that they call the progressive activists comprise 8% of the population. So we're talking about 14% of the population that really monopolizes public discourse on social media because they're the loudest and they're, the ones that get the most retweets and shares, which creates this imperfect sense of what is actually transpiring in households. Yes, they're they're the bulk of the the shares. And And, that they're they're both like white and rich on the polls, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's what- So we're being torn apart by a battle between two subsets of the elite. Right. Even though we're shouting about the elites in the context of all of that. And, and what's funny, it's like how I, I think last time we were on the air, I even mentioned this. It's like, I said jokingly that, you know, if you're being ultra political, you're an asshole. And so we're being torn apart by assholes. Right, so yeah, basically <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the uh, TLDR of this whole thing, right? Yes. So in other words, like, you know, conservatives, if you're within, you know, a, an aspect of one of those in groups on both sides, if you divert from that, let's say you divert from the, that conservative perspective, you're gonna get accused of being a traitor. A rhino. And if you take a position at odds with the progressive side of it, you're not gonna get called a traitor, you're gonna get called a racist, a transphobe, right. or a Karen. Or so something. on one side, it's the political candidates. If you're a rhino, you, you lose, you have mm-hmm. no chance. But on the left, it's almost more insidious because it can really harm you in your daily life a lot yeah. more. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he's a little bit breathless and overdramatic about um, cancel culture. I do think it's a problem. I think we've talked about it. We've talked about this whole thing. I, I think it stems from academic theories that have leaked into our newspapers. And even I think it's a problem. I do think that there's yeah, too I mean, much academic thought he, in our daily papers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I was interrupting no, you again. No. Um, the idea being that that small percentage of people who are screaming about that thing finds its way into these institutions, into media and academia. And even though it's such a small percentage of people, they're able to hold those institutions hostage. Right. Because the social ramifications of, you know, the shouting that's going on about these issues, it's the consequences are too dire. So there's a retreat from really contending with the issues and a kind of silencing of ideas that results as a matter of course. Right. It's but a re- you think that's overblown? No, I, I think the way he frames it is a little overblown. I don't think, um, you know, I think he, one thing, I think I have a quote here. Uh, the punishment that feels right for such crimes is not execution, it is public shaming and social death. I mean, I don't think every time something happens, it gets to that level, but I think there are examples of that sure, level. There's plenty of examples yeah, 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 of yeah. professors losing their jobs yes. and journalists getting fired right. and the You're like. Right. There's, right. T- there's, there's quite a bit of it. But it's it's more about like, okay, so w- maybe there's not hundreds of those, right. but there's enough of them. And what is the chilling effect of that? That's right. No, That's, 100%, you and I, almost every week, right. we talk about stuff we're not gonna talk about. Right, well, let's kind of contextualize this article yeah. with the conversation we had on the last roll-on about Leah Thomas. Yeah. So we tried to have a balanced, nuanced conversation about a very difficult issue 
and the challenge of, of trying to solve this problem of serving both fairness and inclusion. And I think we did as best as we could with, uh, with a problem that you know, has yet to have a solution. And I could tell you just publicly, I was on the receiving end of a lot of vitriol from both women mm-hmm. on the one hand and trans advocates on the other hand. So women were angry that I didn't take a harder core position or you and I didn't take a harder yeah. core position on fairness. And trans advocates were very angry that we were even having this conversation without doing it in the presence of a trans person. Right. Basically making the argument that you shouldn't even be talking about this unless you have a trans person with you. Which, are, I, which I completely I reject. With that. I, I reject it completely. Well, if it's you're like, gonna it's set ridiculous. up a condition that you can't talk about this issue unless you do A, B, and C, like most people are just gonna say, well, I'm just not gonna have the conversation, right? right? We right. have to be able to talk about these right. things. And yes, would that conversation have been more informed had we had a trans person who's familiar with this terrain with us? Probably. You could make the same argument if we had uh, a coach of a, a college, you know, women's team. Or with just us a women's well, swimmer. Or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. of course, any kind of like experience-based perspective on either side of that would have better inform the conversation. But to but, say you have to, that's the problem. Right, the, yeah. but the point being that like publicly, I felt like it was hard. Like I'm not courting controversy. I right. tried to have that conversation. I felt like it was important. I think we, you and I agree on that. Yeah. Um, publicly, it felt like I'd failed everybody and you know had done like a terrible job of even trying to do this. Privately, I got a lot of phone calls and text messages and DMs from people thanking us for having that conversation. And those messages came from both sides of the camp, from women athletes, women, trans people, trans advocates, trans parents mm-hmm. and the like. So, you know, but that's one example of the difference between, you know, what is truly kind of like the larger, quieter majority of people versus the very loud polarities. Right, well, we were speaking to that quiet majority, right? Which mm-hmm. is what I think people like about the roll on stuff is because we tend to do that. I mean, we might get, onto the progressive side more often than not, but I don't think we're that kind of religiously progressive. And Mm -hmm. so we'd speak to this majority. And I think that's important. I think the majority needs to speak up more and support liberalism, which is free thought and free debate and free speech. And it's not in order to talk about this issue, you have to have this in your background or you have to, I mean, that's crazy. And it doesn't, I mean, yes, you should be a serious person. You shouldn't be talking about bullshit you have no idea about. But like, if you study up, you can have a discussion and it doesn't matter your background. So I think that that's important. I also think that he, he talked about the fact that the left is the one that controls majority of written media, entertainment and all of this. So there is this broader impact of a quieter middle and a vocal left. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I thought about this when I watched, cause I had my niece stayed with us and she wanted to watch the Grammys. I don't typically watch the Grammys. I, I've been like out of the mainstream music scene for a long time. Like I like what I like and I never pay attention to the Grammys since I'm like in high school, but I really enjoyed it. And the difference between the Oscars and the Grammys is like, it's almost like film people seem to think that their job is education now and the Grammy people know it's entertainment Mm. and like your job is to entertain. And so like, there's this different, like people have a different perspective. That's why I have a problem with academic theory in journalism. It's like, yes, you can be in the op-ed section, but academic theories should not impact news reporting. Mm. But everything is op-ed now. Right, there's so much, yeah. But 
that's kind of my take is that like people forget what their primary job is. It's a stay in your lane idea. Mm-hmm. We should focus on our primary job. If you're, yes, we need to have equal opportunity. We need to have more opportunity for more people who've been shut out of the system. But that doesn't mean that your job is in entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at yeah. it. Yeah, back to the Substack issue yeah. though, you're seeing this flight of journalists from these institutions that have been kind of degraded in terms of public trust. But what's interesting is that those substacks tend to be like opinion first, right? right. Like it's some version of, of activism journalism for the right. most part in the most popular substacks. That's true. And people who are distrustful of the old guard, the New York Times, whatever, seem to have the inability to lend that critical eye to the opinion driven pieces of some of the big substackers. Well, sure. I mean, especially if you look at it on the left, because who invented opinion journalism? Rupert Murdoch. So you're basically playing by that playbook and it's a bullshit playbook because what opinion journalism does is what a lot of people, I've seen it before, people make, they overstate their argument. And when you overstate a winning argument or any argument, but specifically a winning argument, you make yourself look like an idiot and it doesn't actually help the cause. Mm -hmm. And so like, we should all be more restrained. We should all be trending more to the middle. We should all be thinking, actually, you know what? I don't know enough. I don't know shit, really. Right. And that's what you, we were saying with the Leah Thomas stuff was, you know, look, this is what it's at stake. We didn't make any judgments. We just kind of presented all the thought and feelings that were out there Yeah, and did our best. Well, but, well put. Yeah, well anyway. Put. But like the, the, the idea of back to the Oscars and Grammys, the Grammys was fun. Mm-hmm. And the Oscars performing, yeah. The Oscars didn't get fun until the well, very end. The, the Oscars are well, that, <laughs> and then it got crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it is a different vibe. You, you know what I'm saying? Things. Like yeah. Trevor Noah's up there having a great time. Everyone's having fun. It's like it felt like a global thing. It felt like free. It felt like art. It felt like entertainment. Well, it's also much more diverse in yeah. terms of the artists. Yeah. you know, from yeah. country music yeah. to hip hop and the like. Like you're casting a much wider net in terms of the kind of people that are adorning the stage. It felt like the silent majority's preferred entertainment system to the elite ivory tower weirdos. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, all right, speaking of elite ivory tower weirdos, we had a whole category here of like cool stuff to share and content that we're enjoying, but we're at like an hour and 30 in. Okay. So maybe we'll, let's just save that let's for save next it. time. Cause we did the rollies already. So we had our yeah. diversion down entertainment alley. Uh, that I think is plenty for this episode. And maybe we'll revisit that next time. So let's just go to, we're gonna go to this listener question. And then after that, we're gonna go to uh, a quick Zoom call with Chris Howth. Let's so do it. Just as a reminder, we entertain listener questions here. If you want your question considered for Adam and I to talk about on the show, leave us a voicemail at 424-235-4626. That's 424-235-4626. Do it now. Our voicemail is standing by. All right, here we go. Jake from your old neck of the woods, Palo Alto. Here we go. Hi, Rich and Adam. My name is Jake. I'm calling from Palo Alto, California, where I just relocated five months ago. I left my hometown, Ventura, California, and dream job of four years in order to be closer to my wife's family and in hopes for the betterment of our marriage and future of our five-year-old son. I'm a vegan 37-year-old primary care doctor and swim, bike, or run for about an hour every morning for my sanity. 
Last month, my larger-than-life younger brother, Steve, was tragically killed at the age of 34 by a rogue power line that hit him on the head while he was working on a ranch. Six months ago, he married his high school sweetheart after a 16-year courtship that included world travels and great adventures. Steve regularly swam in his Speedo in the San Francisco Bay, even in the winter. He surfed big waves, snowboarded in the backcountry, went off of cliffs, and lived life to the fullest. He was on top of his game with ambitious goals, looking forward to starting a family, expanding his agricultural tech company, and was in the process of buying an avocado ranch in Carpinteria. 16 years ago, my older brother, Dave, died at the age of 24 after a heroic battle to leukemia. He was diagnosed with leukemia at age six. I was four and Steve was just one. He was cured at 10, re-diagnosed at 18, cured at 21, re-diagnosed at 22 and had a bone marrow transplant and suffered the last year of his life on a ventilator at Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, not once giving up the fight. These catastrophic losses have been heartbreaking and trying to make sense of them is emotional torture. My questions are, do you believe everything in life happens for a reason? And is there a point in trying to make sense of this incomprehensible life and world we live in, or does this just lead to despair? I respect you guys and appreciate all you do. The RRP has been an inspiration to me. Feel free to play this on the air. That's heavy, Jake. It's a pretty heavy one. Uh, my heart goes out to you. This is heavy stuff, real life stuff. Um, and the questions that you were asking are philosophical and and you know difficult to to answer. So I'm not sure that I can come up with anything that's going to be fully satisfying to you. But I I will say this to your question of whether we believe or whether I believe everything happens for a reason. I mean I can't say that everything happens for a reason in the universal sense of the word. Hundred percent right? no. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, I, I concede and recognize the difficulty and the pain that you've experienced trying to reckon with this and in this in, endeavor to kind of try to make sense of something so seemingly senseless and tragic. And so I think what I will say is that setting aside, like, is there a universal point to any of this and focus on what I do know, which is that I think you can find solace and comfort in your own personal attempt to find personal meaning in these events, because these events, which are big, hard events, present you with a choice. On the one hand, you can either allow them to define you in a self-destructive way. The world sucks, nothing's good, bad things happen to me. But you know, I probably don't have to tell you that this mindset is not gonna serve you well. Or on the other hand, you can try to find some spark in what has occurred to ignite you in a more positive direction. When I look at, or when I listen to you talk about your brother, Steve, being this incredible adventurer and how he lived life to the fullest, mm. I can't help but think perhaps that was a choice that he made in response to your brother, Dave, and his early demise, like mm. looking at his life and, and realizing life's short, and I've been gifted this life, I'm gonna make the most out of it. Mm -hmm. And celebrating the fact that he lived his life in that way, and that was a risky way to live. And if you're gonna live your life on the edge, do, you know, surfing big waves and doing the things that he did, like this shit happens, you know? And it doesn't mean that the world is a terrible place. 
I think he probably would say that he understood that there was a risk in living his life that way, but that was a choice that he made for himself. It seems like the way it happened was such a tragic accident. Yeah, though. I mean, it was it's like, like freak out. That's it wasn't, not how, yeah, exactly. how he died. So right, it's like, right. I could see how that would be like, wait a second. And it, and you, you do hear about that, like these great people who have this amazing lives and then they die doing something random, like falling mm-hmm. off the second story by accident. It happens all the time yeah, though, yeah. you know? Yeah. But on that point of, you know, making this other choice, like this can come in many forms. Like you could channel that energy to raise awareness around leukemia or Mm. perhaps share transparently how you're surviving this seemingly senseless passing of a loved one. In other words, like, can you take the unique experiences of your life, tragic, hard, and flip them to fuel a path and service to others. And I think we see this all the time, like parents of kids that are killed in school shootings become activists or they start nonprofits to raise awareness around these issues that have affected them so deeply and personally. And I think that, you know, heartbreak and despair, these emotions that you're experiencing are, are totally, you know, they're totally natural human responses to what has occurred in your life. And I think you should feel all of that, but, The challenge for you at some point after you've felt all of it is to process the events in a healthy way so that they don't fester and become, you know, the foundation for a lot of unhealthy responses. So you got to find a way to make peace with yourself over what happened and transmute the events into something positive for other people. And I think when you direct that energy outward in service, that will provide you with a path that's lined with meaning, with purpose, with direction, with fulfillment. And it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job or that this even needs to be your primary focus, but devoting some part of your energy or your intention to that first through therapy or some kind of modality to help you cope and process what has happened to you, which is an act of self-love. And then after that, through service, which is an act of love for other people. That was so beautiful, Rich. I, I can't add anything to that other than to say you're a, a primary care physician as well. So you, you're already living a very cool life. Like you're kind of mm-hmm. leaning towards right. service already. Uh, uh, you know, I think um, when you have a broken heart, I think you can feel more um, what people have gone through. Um, I think it allows you to be more empathetic. And I think that there's power in that and uh, not power like personal power, but power in your ability to reach others and to reach parts of yourself maybe that you didn't even know were there. And I just wanna commend you for living a cool life already and for sharing this in this way. And uh, you know, life is a beautiful gift. And so we can't forget that no matter everything that happens, we have to remember that life is a beautiful gift. Whatever is happening out there, it's often tragic, but it is a gift. So, uh, so we have to remember. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. Well, good, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. We're gonna turn our attention to um, a coaching call with Chris, but Adam, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. I love you. And I'll see you back here in two weeks. I love you too. Where's my rollies? Let's go party. We gotta gotta design, maybe we should outsource (laughs) the, uh, or just put it out to the audience to come up with designs for the rolly trophy. Yeah. I think that's a good get. idea. I, I, I'm going to go uh, celebrate with fellow Roly winner, Jason Camiolo. <laughs> yeah, at the after party. <laughs> Where's the after party? <laughs> <At> the, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, behind the velvet rope. Yes, yes, right. yes, of course. Very exclusive and elite. If he lost, he might've slapped us. It would have been, it would have been rough. I'm yeah. so glad that the audience came through. <laughs> I'm glad Jason. too. Um, all right, dude, see you back here in two weeks. Like all I right. said, I love you. Thank you everybody for taking this journey with me and uh, Roland will be back in two, two Thursdays weeks, right? from now. Yeah. Yeah, all right, peace out. There he is. Yeah. But I guess the first thing I would ask you is, um, you know, what is the typical experience with the athletes that you're working with? Because I'm sure a lot of them, if not most of them, have had COVID at some point. So you have some data points on what's working, what's not working, people who try to get back into it too quickly, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, that's the thing. I think it's gone through every one of my athletes. I can't, I can't really think of anybody who hasn't besides myself. <laughs> that's the crazy mm, thing. You still haven't had it. Wow. Not with four kids. That's even more surprising. Right. Um, so, and we have to test also going to different households because it affects different households. So if somebody's feeling under the weather or something like that. So anyway, but that being said, um, your question is a legitimate one because it's across the board different for every athlete. But what I've found is really two camps. One, and this is the larger group, it takes longer than they thought to kick out of it. They have mm -hmm. this general sense of malaise um, of just not being 100%. They feel good enough to train. They feel good enough to do all the activities, but they're just missing a gear or two. And they're surprised how long it takes. And then from one day to the next, the cloud lifts and they feel mostly back to normal. And so and the advice in those has, cases, yeah, in those yeah. cases, are you just asking people to train through it and deal with it? Or is it better to just take your foot off the gas completely or slightly? Well, I think the first component there is you can train or I let them train how they want to, but recognize that they might not be at 100% and not be so hard on themselves because of it right? We're constantly evaluating how we're progressing. And so it becomes this like, oh, I'm not progressing or I feel off or I'm tired or I'm flat or I didn't eat enough or something. And I say, you know, it might still just be this carrying on for a longer period of time than you think. So allow yourself to not necessarily, once again, train without intention, but give yourself that little extra space of forgiveness, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. But you don't think that the training itself is ill-advised or or prolonging that recovery period? I haven't seen it because those that I've given more time off to or have backed off the training completely, they're not necessarily getting healthier quicker. Mm, interesting. And so interesting. there's those who three, four days later are basically back to normal and then maybe another two, three days and then they're 100%. Mm. But then there's others, three, four weeks of just feeling just enough to notice that they're off, but they just right. can't perform, let's say, intervals or strength work or paces that they were before getting COVID. Mm. And so it's just a close 
watching process for the athlete and really providing the insight to me so that I can say, all right, you know what, we're not, we'll take out a few of these higher quality, higher intensity workouts and just stay true to the endurance or stay true to clean motions or just good strength work. Maybe we're not looking to top out the strength work, but just staying connected to so that once you are healthy, that you're ready to really hit that gear. And that's the fun right? That yeah, you sure. as the athlete feel good about like, okay, as soon as that fog lifts, at least I'm ready and I can have some really good training days. Well, I feel pretty fortunate in that at least so far, I don't feel that malaise or that general fatigue. Um, I, I thought like I might have to take a couple of weeks off. Like I had athletes pinging me friends of mine. And I know, you know, because I know them and their friends, I know that they, you know, they're not afraid to train hard. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them were like, I took three weeks off. Like I just needed that. But I felt pretty good pretty quickly. Like after four days, I felt pretty much fine. I was like, yeah, but I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to sit this out. And I think I took seven days off total, but I felt ready to go and just very gradually and gently got back into the pool. I didn't push anything. Like I, I would go three or 4,000 yards, but I didn't really do anything very hard just to gauge it and see how I felt. Um, but today you gave me a 4,700 yard workout and mm -hmm. there were some hard efforts in there and I felt pretty good, you know, and I got through it and that's the most yardage that I've done. And I know there's a lot of volume waiting for me, but um, I'm feeling pretty grateful that I'm not in that camp of feeling like I'm missing a step. Maybe that'll change, but right now that's kind of where I'm at. But I did miss seven days on a pretty short time window. I'm now eight weeks out of this swim. Uh, so there's a lot of work that has to happen. And obviously, you know, not everything has gone perfectly to plan. And I've got a lot more hiccups, you know, along the way over the course of the next eight weeks, including this weekend where I'm going to be driving up north um, to your neck of the woods for an, an appointment for my back. And I'm going to miss a couple of <laughs> swim days in there as well, because I'm doing it, doing the road trip with my kid. And I don't want to be mm -hmm. just training all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's pools up here too. I could help you find I know. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. But like, I don't know. I'm like, hey, hey, Jaya, go sit in the corner while I go yeah, train. Yeah. Like I got to balance yeah. that. You know, it's no, supposed no. to be kind of like a father, son road trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, it's hard to know where you're at with regards to the health because you might've felt pretty good today because you also had a week lighter leading sure. up to it to really absorb the training that you were doing prior and also increasing sort of the build as you were going. So it's hard to know that until we're a couple of days further down the road here, at which point you're taking a couple of days off. So that's why we're taking the windows. And you're you're just a classic example of most any athlete that has a full-time job and has a family, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's stressful for all of us. And that's the whole challenge, how to navigate these little windows of when we can train and using the time we have to maximize the fitness gains. And so right. here we are, eight weeks out to do 21,000 yards in one fell swoop. Right. So what am I looking at here? How, how you know, how, how, how is this volume gonna escalate? Cause I'm itching, I'm always itching yeah. at this phase to be doing more. And you're always like pushing me to slow down a little bit, but I've worked with you long enough to know like those days are coming. Yeah. Well, the beauty is we're starting the sort of the, the bigger prep this week. Um, 
with some longer sets. Um, I'm hopeful that we can get in two key workouts this week and they include some long continuous swimming. And you're gonna curse me plenty then um, when you say I wanna do more. And then I have two 1800s straight for you waiting with four minutes oh, rest. Good. <laughs> and you're gonna do that in the pool and be like, really? <laughs> My brain is going mush back to our youth. No, I love that stuff. But the good thing is, is that with that, you know, with our watches these days, we no longer have to count. Remember back in the day, if we had to swim longer, we didn't know if we missed a 50 or a hundred right. or something. Now we can just look at our watch. So lucky on that. Um, but that being said, it's a great opportunity to swim 3,600 yards broken and to do some fueling and hydrating halfway through to see how you're doing with that. And just think, we wanna get better at finding that all day swim day pace, right? Swim pace, excuse me. So that rhythm and that pacing that you can just turn the brain off and just keep swimming and mm -hmm. getting familiar with that so that now we have a baseline for going along in order to do that just a bit faster and using that in our training in order to work around it. You know, um, a few seconds faster than all day swim pace, a few seconds slower than all day swim pace so that we can start setting the intervals and the work around that. Right, um, a couple questions. The first thing is I got some good open water swims when I was in Miami and I have a lifetime of open water experience. So I've never been uptight about making sure that I'm in the ocean doing, um, doing workouts because I'm comfortable enough to know that like when I get there, it will be fine. But do you think that it would be wise to start incorporating some long course workouts in? Because yes. I'm swimming in a 25 yard pool and I specifically go to this pool where they overheat it because it's more of like an older person therapy pool. Uh, but that's perfect for the, the environment that I'm gonna do this swim in. It's gonna be really hot. Um, so I wanna acclimate to the heat and the overheating. Um, but I do think it, I would be well served by getting some long course workouts in, but I have to drive great distances like either to Pasadena or way out to Simi Valley to get access to a 50 meter pool. Yeah, so that will take some planning. And again, if we have to um, choose between getting to a 50 meter pool or getting in a longer workout in a 25 meter pool, because you're using your training time to drive, I'd rather, right? Right. Because you're going to, and I say that we're both nodding our heads because I'm saying that because you already know, okay, that what the benefits are of 50 meter and you know how you'll feel getting into the open water and, and, and lengthening out your stroke and just finding that all day pace. So is, if that means we spend 45 more minutes in the pool versus driving and you get in another 4,000, mm -hmm. that's sort of the equation that we need to play in these last eight weeks, given that you have limited time every day anyway. Right. I think that that those moments, I could pick those moments though, where I do have more free time, like on a weekend or whatever. Um, and you know, you and I both know that no matter how fit you are, short course, when you get into a long course pool and you throw down pretty hard, like you're gonna be sore the next day. Like it is different in a meaningful way. And depressing too, because yeah. you quit, right. you thought you were <laughs> you were fit, right. and next thing you know, you're like out of breath on a couple hundreds. Long so. course don't lie. Yeah, no, that's a whole different, and it's a different swim sport. I mean, just knowing from being swimmers, we know both know people who were world-class at short course meters or even yards, NCAA swimmers. And then you put them in a 50 meter pool, they never even qualified for, you know, the Olympics, let alone mm. up to their potential than the world 
fastest times they were doing in the NCAA swims. So it's, it's, it's almost a different swim sport. So, right. So when you're looking at how much work I've done and how much work remains to be done, are we talking survival here? Like where, 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 you know, like, like obviously I'm not going to be tip top, um, but I would like to be more fit than just trying to get through it. um, For sure. For sure. With, with also knowing like, I'm not going to be able to hammer the way that I would prefer if I lived a different life. Well, there's always that risk. We could just throw the, <laughs> throw the <laughs> dice out there and see, see what happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's salt water. You'll float long enough. Um, no, but you got to look at it this way that you woke up today after a week sort of off and, and gently building your fitness back in and quickly in three, four days or trying to. And you did a quarter of the distance basically this morning. So if we needed to push ourselves, could you have done a third or even up to half today and back off the pace substantially, but just continue to keep going? Probably you'd be sore tomorrow or a little bit more fatigued, but you could. So we're, that's where we're moving to next, where you do half the distance and you feel like you did today for a quarter of the distance. Mm -hmm. That's our next check-in point. Now, hopefully that happens in the next two, three weeks. So you have five weeks to go to sort of add that last little component. Are we going to do the full distance? Of course not. Are we going to do three quarters of the distance? Most likely not because we've missed mm -hmm. that window. But will we go 12, 13,000 yards and you feel good about that? Yes. Yeah, that seems totally doable. And if I can throw down 12, 13,000 and not be completely wrecked, that's enough confidence for me. Exactly. That and yeah. fueling and hydrating during or the combination in swimming because you sort of fuel with hydration right. that um, that will sustain you an hour three and so forth so that you feel good versus getting fatigued and you think it's fitness where it's actually running low on fuel. Those com- That combined with as you're building the volume, I think you will have plenty of confidence going into 21,000 yards. Yeah. The hydration and fueling piece is the next thing because I haven't done any experimentation with that. I just go with water or nothing so far because yeah. the workouts haven't been long enough to justify it. Um, but starting to play around with that um, is something I'm eager to begin doing, especially in the higher temperature water where Perfect, yeah. it's more meaningful. And what have you, so what have you, obviously this is a very personal thing, but mm-hmm. what have you determined in your experience and you know all the open water marathon stuff that you've done that seems to be a good workable equation? Yeah, so for me, it's first off in the warmer temperatures, it's hydration, right? Electrolyte hydration so that at least that component I'm staying topped off um, with regards to hydration because we dehydrate in warm water dramatically. Yeah. And it's hard to recognize until it's too late, until we're completely sort of dehydrated and it's affecting our performance. The second part is that you will have that opportunity this weekend, just before I forget that, to do two 1800s with four minutes rest. And so you can start laying out some different products, whether that's gels or chews. Personally, I like the chews. Um, If I'm gonna eat something solid, I can get through them pretty quickly, wash it down with water and keep swimming. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything more substantial, like a bar or anything like that, I'm still chewing hard and working in that rest or even swimming one-handed backstroke while we're continuing to swim. And that's not ideal. So therefore, we have the chews, gels, or bottles with calories in them. Right. And there's plenty of those, but 
products out there that are really good, that have really advanced the technology over the last few years. Um, there's a variety of products out there like um, Precision Fuel and Hydration. There is Martin's. So there are these bottles that have 200, 300 calories in them, a lot of electrolytes, plenty of sodium, and therefore you can also get your calories in for what we're looking to do. We're not mm -hmm. going that big in a deficit for your 21,000. It's probably gonna be around five, six hours. And so that's not gonna be something too dramatic that with a good breakfast being topped off and staying on top of it with liquid fuel, you'll be pretty well-versed in that by then. Right on. Um, with the added complexity of salt water. Exactly. And so that's why you want cold, fresh water so that you can rinse out your mouth so that you can mm -hmm. get rid of that, um, that, um, that hunger debilitating sensation in your mouth, that salty water. You don't want to eat anything or drink anything. You're just like, right. you know, so therefore we want to be able to test that over the next few weeks. Cool. Yeah. All right. So we'll check back in in two weeks. Where yeah. would you like to see me then versus now? Well, that's where we're going to start adding those longer swims. So in two weeks, you're going to have maybe even up to 6,000, 7,000 where you feel pretty comfortable and you right. feel like, you know what? That wasn't so bad. Like I got out, went out and went on with the rest of my day. Then we're starting to get good that we can quickly extend to, to 10,000 or 11,000 because the beauty of six to seven to 8,000, let's just say 65 to 8,000, 10,000, 11,000 is no difference. Mm -hmm. It's just more time in the water, but your arms mm -hmm. and your body doesn't feel any different. And you're going to laugh because it's really remarkable how you feel just as fatigued at 7,200 as you do at 9,800. You're just like, I spend more time in the water, but I'm not necessarily more tired. And that's right. our next sort of you know, threshold to cross. All right. Sounds good, man. I appreciate all the sage counsel. I'm actually really enjoying this. It's yeah. nice to just kind of do one thing. I can't tell you the last time I just swam like pretty much every day and didn't have to worry about all the other stuff because even during the most intense kind of Ultraman training, we were still only swimming like two or three days a week at most, right? Yeah. So you never got that day in, day out um, cycle of swim training that compounds much more quickly when- yeah versus when you're wedging it into, you know, the the cycling and the running. Isn't the the psyche sort of so happy to be returning to this ritual? <laughs> it Isn't is it like, bizarre? It's like going back into the womb. <laughs> yes, I, it's you know? like, I, I, I kept telling Emily last year or two years ago, or last year when I was getting ready for the length of Tahoe, I was like, I miss this, this just being able to swim forever or turn on the gears automatically or just settling into a really smooth swim pace, the day in, day out, it just comes so naturally. And it feels mm. so good for us who are so used to staring at a black line at the bottom of a pool. And it is crazy for anybody who's watching or listening because we have so, so robust a background, like even at 55, like I know that I'm still tapping into what I started to build when I was 12, 14 years old. Yeah. And it's just going back in the mind going, oh yeah, I remember this feeling mm -hmm. that I can just click 200s and 300s over and over again. And I just, there it is, it's fine. Right. Cool, man. Well, always appreciate it. And well, glad to see you you're healthy. Time. Yeah, Glad to see you're good. healthy. And you're starting to look like a swimmer again. 
I know my hair's gotten fried. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like I wore a, I wore a cap when I had long hair, but I was like, my hair's short. I'm not wearing a cap, and now like my hair is completely fritzed out from the chlorine. <laughs> but I'm kind of like, yeah, that's what you do when you're a swimmer. I'm just exactly. embracing it. You exactly. know what I mean? It's just that we didn't have beards back then when we were swimmers. <laughs> yeah, let alone completely white beards. Exactly. <laughs> Well, it's good to see you're healthy and I'm glad you're back. And I will um, dive into your training as we speak. Sounds good. Thanks, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Peace. Bye. Bye. You know, like, come on. <laughs> <laughs>